what I've titled this series, it's starting today. I want to encourage you every Sunday, we're going to deal with this for the next few Sundays on the power of the parables. These are timeless instructions from heaven. Let me tell you how serious the parables are. Jesus said this about the parables as he spoke to us in parables, but it reveals something. It says in Matthew chapter 13, verse 34, and all these things Jesus said to them in parables. He spoke to them with parables that he might fulfill the words which were spoken of by the prophets saying, I will utter things that have been kept secret from the foundations of the earth. In other words, Jesus is revealing secrets of the kingdom in these parables. And in Luke chapter 15, verse one, the Bible says, then all the tax collectors and all the sinners drew near to Jesus to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes complained, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. And then Jesus gets around to tell the greatest story ever told, the parable within the parable, the prodigal son. This is the prodigal's advantage. And this message is about things that are lost. It says in verse 11, a certain man had two sons and the younger said to them, father, give me the portions of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and he journeyed to a far country and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. The Bible says excess living is some of your translations will say. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land and he began to be in want. And when he had joined himself together with a citizen of that country and he sent him into the fields to feed the swine. And would he have gladly had filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating and no man gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and I'll say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Verse 20, and he arose and came to his father. And when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and bring the ring and, his, and put it on his hand and the sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this was my son who was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found and they began to be merry. The mariachis were playing, the tortillas, the tamales, it was the refried beans, the mole, it was all there, baby. And it was celebration time because that which was dead came back to life again. Father, thank you today for this word. Let the meditations of my heart and the words out of my mouth be acceptable in thy sight, thy rock and my redeemer. In Jesus' name and all God's men and women said, amen. amen. Turn to your neighbor on the left and say, hi, good looking. Turn to your neighbor on the right and say, hi. Okay, you can be seated. I'm sorry I picked on you on the right, but you know how it goes sometimes. I like picking on people. I think you are amazing. Give yourselves a round of applause. Okay. Now, 
I want, you to, I want you to think about this this morning. If you have your Bibles, leave them open to Luke 15. I'm just gonna pull out verses today out of this message, but it's important to understand who is Jesus talking to in this story. The Bible says in Luke 15, verse one, he was talking to tax collectors and sinners. How many of you know people back in the day didn't like tax collectors and the IRS, and people today don't like tax collectors and the IRS? 87,000 of them are coming your way some of them have guns. How many of you know that's not a good thing when the government's coming to take our money? And if you don't think you don't like tax collectors in the IRS, listen to this historical fact. If a Jewish man was in the marketplace and he accidentally bumped into a tax collector in the marketplace, he was honor-bound to spit on the ground in front of him, go home, burn his clothes, and immediately take a bath. Hate? He, they hated him. They were the, 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 the reviled people of their day. Now, who are the sinners? Now, in this passage of Scripture, it tells us that they were prostitutes. These were women who knew that these men had the financial ability to reward them for services rendered. Now, Jesus, he's the perfect, holy, sinless son of God. He's in the midst of these tax collectors and these sinners, and he's eating with them. And the Pharisees, they're the religious people of their day. They're the, they're the denominations, the church people. They're the religious stuff shirts of their day. They are not all church people, of course. I'm referring to religious people. They're the religious people of their day. They're criticizing Jesus severely. And that's how this story opens in the power through the parables. And Jesus sees them coming. And he tells three stories about things that are lost and are found. But the first obvious message of Luke 15, we have to share it. It can't be overlooked. The first obvious message is that God is always looking for a whosoever will. He's constantly searching the entire universe and the entire earth for people, no matter what they've gone through or what they're going to go through. It's always a matter of whosoever will. He's going after. But we often look for people with the right stuff. The people with the right education, the right social standing, the right economic standing, the right colored skin, the this thing right thing, this thing right thing. We look for people who think like us and talk like us, but Jesus is saying the opposite. He's saying, I want to go after the whosoever wills. I want you to go after the up and out. I want you to go after the down and out. I want you to go after the drug addict. I want you to go after the victim. I want you to go after the problem child. I want you to go after the tax collector and the prostitute. I want you to go after the scandalized, the brokenhearted, the poor, the powerful, the pathetic. Don't overlook anyone because every single person that dies without Christ spends eternity in a place called hell. The God that we worship this morning and the one that we honor, he's passionate about things that are lost. And in Luke 15, he gives us three th stories about things that are lost. The first one he tells us is about the lost sheep. Now, you have to understand, the sheep is not lost because he wakes up one day and through his brilliant cunning, he devises a conspiracy to research the leadership of the shepherd. No, if you understand sheep, he's inherently too stupid to follow after the shepherd, so he finds his way into a deep ditch. It reminds me of this illustration on the screen right now. It's our lives. We find ourselves as sheep. We fall into the ditch, and the shepherd has to come along and pull us out of the ditch, but we being sheep, we don't understand what's going on, and we find our way... Isn't that kind of offensive that God calls us sheep? God called you and I sheep. 
It's kind of offensive, isn't it? And there's a point to that story. You got to understand sheep are cerebrally challenged. Sheep don't see very well. They'll jump out of a ditch that the shepherd gets them out of and they'll find themselves in another ditch. The point is people get themselves caught up in the ditch, not because of their brilliance, because of their foolish choices, their bad decisions. They are where they are because of the choices that they make. It's not God's fault. It's not their mother's fault. It's not their daddy's fault. It's their fault. We choose. Choose what we become. Can I get a witness this morning? Some of you are like, I don't like that. I don't want to choose to get into a ditch. We find ourselves in a ditch. Then he talked about the lost coin. Now think about this. The coin is not lost or valuable because it was lost. In other words, the value of the coin wasn't, wasn't there because the coin was lost. The value of the coin wasn't there because it's out of circulation. Like so many people today, they have no value in the kingdom of God because they, they find themselves out of circulation. Well, I, I used to help with the children's ministry and I, I used to help with Oasis Cares and I, I used to help with the prayer and intercessors. I used to give, I used to pray, I used to do this, I used to do that. Now they find themselves up in the nickel bleacher saying, pray for me, be with me, pity me, adore me. God, whenever I need you, show up. And I would encourage you, step out of the baby stage, take off the pampers, put on the whole armor of God and fight the powers and principalities. That's what God's after, men and women who will not quit. And then he talked about the greatest story that ever lived, the lost boy, the prodigal son. It's a Jewish boy who ended up feeding pigs. It's a despicable story. It's lower than low. I mean, by Moses' law, you're not even supposed to touch a pig. And here he is feeding pigs, living with them with the stench of the hog on him. It's the lowest of low. The message is, however defined your life has become with the low-level issues that you're facing, however despicable you think your life has acquired, However, things that have come your way that cause you pain, no matter how low you think you've gotten, the grace of God could reach you, give you a new life and a new beginning because of his amazing grace. And then it says something interesting. Again, I'm just going down the passage of the story. The Bible says something that I think we overlook sometimes. It said that a certain man had two sons because the Bible, if you think about it, it's really a book of twos. I've, I've given you a day, a choice, choose life or choose death. Choose life so you may live. On another occasion, Jesus told us about two builders, a wise builder and a foolish builder. He talked about humanity being into two groups, a saved group and a lost group. You are not sort of saved just like you're not sort of pregnant. You either are or you're not. He talked about two roads, one broad road that leads to destruction and a narrow road that leads to the cross of Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, we are not all on different roads that lead to the same God. There is only one God. It is God the Father. He's the creator of heaven and earth. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. Believers have an opportunity every time we gather with two or more. In the name of Jesus, you shall ask for it and it shall be done for you by my Father which is in heaven. You have something greater an American Express card or a Visa card. You have the name of Jesus that opens up the gates of heaven and closes the gates of hell. I want you to realize that because the Bible always is trying to get us on the right path. And then it says in verse 12, the younger says to his father, look at what it says, give me the portions of goods that belongs to me. Now, how many of you are the youngest in your family? 
Anybody, any babies in the family? I'm the baby of my brothers. I'm the youngest of my family. And my brothers, when I was a little boy, they always tried to pick on me, beat me up, and you know how, how brothers do. This is the younger. And the younger says to his father, give me what belongs to me. Now, according to Jewish law, Deuteronomy 21, when the father dies, listen to this, the eldest son is to receive two-thirds, and the youngest son is to receive one-thirds. But we got a problem. The father's not dead. The father's not even sick. And he says, I can't wait for you to die. I want my inheritance right now. Look at him. He's the picture of arrogance. He's the picture of every cocky, ego-driven young person with his hand out saying, give me, give me. Do you know the word prodigal means recklessly extravagant? That's what it means. When you look at the word prodigal, it means recklessly extravagant. The prodigal's attitude is, man, I'm tired of all my father's stuffy rules and regulations. I'm tired of my daddy telling me, go to church, son. I'm tired of my father telling me, get a job, son. I'm tired of my dad saying, clean up my, my room, son. And listen, before you can clean up the world, you must first clean up your room. And then if you have a car, I would encourage you, clean out your car. My God, if I went through this parking lot right now, some of your cars look like a pipe bomb went off in there. You want to change things, start by making your bed. Oh, that'll preach. Look at the prodigal. He's packing his bags. He's dreaming of the far country. He's got on his designer jeans, his $400 Jordans on. He's got on his big belt. He's got on his nice outfit. He comes bouncing down the stairs. He knows how to live. He's been blogging about it for some time now. When he gets out there, he's going to show them what's up. He's going to go party with the rest and the best of them. He's going to live large and in charge. He knows how to do it. He's got a square daddy. He's a conspiracy theory. He's a QAnon or even. He's a conspiracy nut. He's a right wing reactionary and everything is about the Bible notice this boy left home saying give me but he came back saying make me he left home a son but he came back begging to be a servant with the stench of a hog on him the far country young man listen to me young lady the far country will break your heart it will crush your dreams it'll send you home without honor it'll send you home saturated in shame it'll send you home crucified with guilt and stinking like a hog here's the facts the prodigal son got what he wanted but he lost what he had before you go and sell your soul for a flinging out in the far country you need to look at the high price other people have paid for such low living the pain that they have the scars that are forever indelibly etched on them and the memories and haunt them and will not go away and the Bible says in verse 13 he took his journey he took his journey he vlogged about it he was Instagramming it he was showing the reels of all the things he was going to do and then it became a reality he took his journey the Bible says into the far country now I want you to get this I don't believe the far country is a place I believe it's a condition of the heart that says he can live outside the will of his father this young man could have been five, down, five miles down the road or less, but the Bible says something interesting. He's in the far country, meaning he's out of the Father's will. Listen to me. When a man or a woman lies, when they steal, when they commit adultery, really, if you think about it, they do so from the expression of a need. They have a need of something. But when a man or a woman gets infected with pride, they have no need, not even of God. 
That's the reason the Bible says pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. The Bible says God resists the proud. And when we get to the place we think we can get outside the will of God and get away with it, the Bible says God himself starts to fight you. He says the way of the transgressor is hard. God makes it hard. He turns off the resources. He causes no man to give unto you. He causes everything that's beautiful and wonderful in your life to be turned off and become hell on earth. You know, I don't have a problem with atheists. I like talking to atheists because to me, an atheist, they spend all their time fighting in a God they don't believe in. I just think it's fascinating conversation. You believe that there is no God? Why do you fight about it? If you didn't believe it, why do you care? I don't believe it. I think they be they're terrified he does exist. That's why they fight so much about there is no God. My concern is not with the atheist. My concern is the man or woman they claim to love God. They live without mercy, they live without love. They talk the talk, but they don't walk the walk. They're clouds without rain, they're trees without fruit, they're wells without water. The fact is, if you were a New Testament Christian, that means you were on fire for the things of God. Signs, wonders, and miracles were following you, and you wanted to join their fellowship circle, you'd have to backslide to get into fellowship. That's why the book of Revelation says, I wish the church was either hot or cold. There's no two issues because you're lukewarm. I'm going to vomit you. I'm going to ralph you out my mouth. You're disgusting, God says. It's not good. And it says in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10, or excuse me, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 6, it says that it's better to not even know the Lord and to know me and turn away from my righteousness. It's like a dog that goes back to its vomit and a pig back to its squalor. That means you can't sin. You ever get around somebody who gets a backslider and they start getting out of the world? It's like a duck out of water. Quack, quack, I'm in the club. Quack, quack, I'm in the club. Quack, quack, give me some weed. You can't even get high right. You can't even get drunk right because you don't belong there. You ever think about that for a moment when backsliders try to go out into the world and do it again? You can't sin right. You can't act right. You're like a duck. I can't even go. I can't even dance no more. You never had rhythm to begin with. But you have to understand you're not designed because God has put eternity on the inside of you. And you are not called to go back out into the world. You're called to be a son and a daughter in the house of God to rescue the lost and rescue the wounded, to go after those who have fallen, not pick them up after they fail, but get them in and say, God, they, you did it for me. You can do it for them. You're not supposed to live that way because God has not designed you to live that way. Think about that. There's, there's something about verse 17 because the Bible says something interesting. Now look, at it's there, it's on the screen. It says these words, he came to himself. I thought about that a lot and I thought, he came to himself. Obviously, he couldn't have come to himself had he been himself. And if he's not himself, that means he's beside himself. And if he's beside himself, he's loco in the cabeza. He came to himself. How do you come to yourself if you're not yourself? And if you're not yourself, you're beside yourself. That means you're in delusion. You're in a place of insanity. That means you're insane to do it and think you're going to get away with it. The Bible says, be sure your sin will find you out. You're insane to think that God doesn't know it. Proverbs 29, verse 1, he that's often reproved, that means hard in his neck. He resists the word and the will of God. He shall be cut off suddenly and that without remedy. Without remedy, God's constantly going, I want to recapture what is mine. And verse 17, the latter part of it says, and no person on the planet helped him. It says the prodigal said to himself, that 
I, I have this issue. No money's given me anything. Verse 16, he was cut off. And verse 17, he said, how many of my father's servants have bread enough to spare? And I'm a son. I'm perishing with hunger. He's no longer blogging. He's no longer, he's no longer doing Insta reels. He's no longer taking pictures with all his cash and a little, and a little pistol in his waist. Talking about, I'm going to get up in the club tonight. He's no longer mocking the things of God. How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare? And I'm a son living with the stench of a hog on me. Let me tell you something. When you're God's child, away from the father, life becomes hell on earth. You can count on it. But when you're with the father, even in the capacity of a servant, and I believe that most Christians need to recognize that God wants you to graduate from, from when you become a new believer and serving the Lord out of obligation and serving the Lord out of obedience and become a reflector of his glory. So you're no longer serving him out of obedience and obligation. You're now a reflector of his glory. But even if you are to stay in the servant place, even if you stay there your entire life on this earth, if you do that, you'll have bread enough to spare. When the children of Israel went out every single morning manna began to drop from heaven and the Bible says there was bread enough to spare when Jesus fed 5,000 with five loaves and two small fishes the Bible says 12 basketfuls were left over because there was bread enough to spare when Elijah went to the widow woman's house and the crews of oil filled up and the meal barrels were constantly full there was bread enough and to spare. King David said, I've been young and now I'm old and I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor their seed out begging for bread. Bill Gates may starve to death in the living room of Elon Musk, but it's not gonna happen to you. Your name's written down in heaven and God has said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor their seed out begging for bread. Our God is a God of abundance and it shall be his will to prosper thee. I want you to look at the next verse there. I want you to think of verse 18. The prodigal does something. It's what I call a true confession. And he confesses, Father, I have sinned. So what is sin? Before you know something, you've got to identify the something. That's why the problem most people have with the sin issue, they don't know the definition of it. The Bible says, he that knoweth to do right and does it not. To him in a sin. In other words, if you know what to do and you don't do it, he that knows the word and doesn't do the word is a person that's in disobedience. He that knoweth to do right and doeth it not, to him in a sin. So that tells me sin, it's not beating up your grandmother and robbing banks. Sin in the word of God is missing the will of God for your life. That's what sin is. In the word of God, it's, it's missing the will of God for your life. That's the definition of sin. Let's put it another way so we can all understand it. It's walking away from your father's will to do your own will. 
sin. It's what drove Jesus Christ to the cross. The crimson stream of blood flows from Mount Calvary and all that would plunge beneath it are made free and made pure. That's why we sing the song up in the church. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the precious blood of Jesus. I'm telling you that for a reason because when you come back to the Father and you get under that spout where the glory comes out, things begin to change. Jesus told us that. He tells us that it will change us. Think about what I'm saying today. Sin is walking away from the Father's will to do our own will. The book of James says it this way. Listen to this passage of scripture. Then when lust, lust means our desire. When our desires have conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. Lust, sin, desire, LSD. That's a high you ought to never get on. When your lust, when it's conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. Lust, sin, and death. That's what sin does. It starts with a fascination. It grows into a form, and it produces a fact. The fascination was this prodigal, the far country. It was so beautiful as he began to talk about it, as he began to make Facebook Live about it. Oh, he began to share with so many of his friends, talking about what he was going to do when he got there. All oh, the cheddar. He, and that sounds so corny. I sound like an old man. I'm sorry. All oh, the things. I like, I'm about to kick my own butt. Shut up, old man. All the things he was going to do. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm like, after the third one, I'm like, stop it. Stop it. And being a cornball. But he was, <laughs> where was I? The fascination for the prodigal was the far country. It was a beautiful thing in his mind. He's showing off. He's thinking about all the things he's going to do. It grew into a form where he left the house. And it became a fact. The stench of a hog on him. Sin is always attractive. But when you get to where it becomes reality, it becomes hell on earth. Sin does not begin with an act. You know it begins with a rebellious thought. Murder does not begin with an act. It begins with the thought of murder. Adultery does not begin with an act. It begins with a thought of adultery. Sin is fun for a while. The Bible tells us the pleasures of sin for a season. But it is the blast that doesn't last. The prodigal son is a story of a Jewish boy who became a keeper of pigs. It was unbelievable. It was unthinkable. It was against the law of Moses. But here's his issue. The issue was he let his condition mess up his position. He found himself in a pig's pen and his condition messed up his position. He was always a son. When he left that house, he was always a son. But because of his choices, because of his decisions, because of the reality of his choices and decisions, he let his condition mess up his positions. And you can't be helped when that comes to your life until you come back to the Father and say, I have sinned. The friends in the far country, they forgot about him. When the money was gone, the lounge lizards, the prostitutes, the drug dealers were laughing at him. How stupid you are. Nobody cared. They threw him in the mud with the hogs and the far country. They will laugh. They will, they will cause shame. The progression of deterioration of the story is profound. When the prodigal left home with money in his pocket, man, he called it independence. I know how to live. And nobody going to tell me how to live. And the far country with bright eyes looking into his, oh, this is pleasure. When he lost his money, he says, hmm, this is bad luck. When the stench of a hog invaded his nostrils, 
called himself a fool. But when he saw it accurately, when he came to himself, when the insanity of sin was shattered by reality, he said, Father, I have sinned. I think sin is a cancer. And you either get that cancer or that cancer gets you. It's a leprosy. It's in our blood. And the knives of a surgeon can't cut it out of our system. That's why I told you earlier, the only way to get it out is the blood of Jesus Christ. Sin divides families. Sin divides husbands from wives. At the root of every divorce, I don't care what you call it, irreconcilable differences, we'll call it sin. Sin separates fathers from sons, mothers from daughters. And worst of all, sin separates men and women from God. And sin is a nightmare that never ends. It fills hospitals with mangled bodies. It fills mental wards with minds that have snapped under the pressures of life. I'm sorry to tell you, but it's true. It fills penitentiaries with men and women acting more like animals than they are human beings. We have to come to the place and say it's enough. We've got to have a confession, a truth confession, and come back to God, come back to his word, come back to holiness, come back to his power, come back to his anointing, come back to him. He's the only answer for America. In closing, listen to the sobbing of the prodigal. He's out in that far country. He's saturated with shame. He's stinky. He's shabby. And he lifts up his voice and he says, Father, Father, I've sinned. Not, I've made a social miscalculation. If you hadn't been so strict, I'd have never left home. You're so strict. Your rules and regulations, they suck. No, it's my fault. The Holy Spirit today showing you things in your life that you need to confess and forsake. And I would encourage you to do it today. Verse 20 says, he arose and he came to his father. And the Bible says the father saw him. Oh, I love this. This is the best part of the story. If you held on for the first part, this last part is invigorating. And the father, the Bible says, saw him from a great way off. He saw him. But the boy did something. He took action. He said, I will arise and I'm going to go to my father. Pastor Tyon and Johan is our leader of our men's ministry here at Oasis. And we had a worship service yesterday with men. It was a wonderful time. And Pastor Tyon said something really prophetically in the service with the men as we worship and had fellowship and ate. We had a good time. But he said, men, if you want something you've never had, You've got to do something you've never done. I said, yeah, that's it. Because that's the definition of insanity. Doing the same old thing and expecting a different result. And that's what the boy didn't do. He said, I'm going to arise and I'm going to go to my father. You can't sit around in the pig's pen thinking, I'm just going to do the same old thing and expect a miracle. If you want something you've never had, you've got to do something you've never done. And he arose and he came to his father. And he took action. The message for you today, there's some areas that you're in the pig's pen. Let's be honest. Maybe with your marriage. Maybe with your mental capacity, you're having trouble mentally because of what's being filtered to you. Maybe emotionally, maybe you're having an issue in the pig's pen, metaphorically, of course, of what you're going through with the situation with your children. You need to do something different. You need to wake up, rise up, and speak up. I'm going to go to my father. I'm going to take it to the Lord. I'm going to go to him. And the Bible says when the father saw him, there's something amazing here in the story. He was still a great way off. He was a great way off. And he saw him. Oh, this is God searching. We often think in religious terms that 
I got to come to God. And God goes, I'm relentlessly pursuing you. All throughout the Bible and all throughout humanity, God is constantly pursuing his children and recapturing back what the enemy has stolen and breed, breeding in people lost things. And here he is. He's looking for his son a great way off and he sees him. He's looking for him. And he's wondering, how is he? Where is he? Is he okay? Wondering every day on that porch, will I get to see my son again? And one day he saw a son coming from a long way off, limping up the road in rags. And the Bible says, the father, he got up out of the porch and he ran to him. And he hugged him and he covered him with kisses. He didn't have a baseball bat. He didn't say, you made so many mistakes, we're not going to let you in the outhouse. That's a little house behind the big house that stinks. No. He says, this is my son. He covered him with kisses. He saw him from a long way off. He kissed him over and over. The Hebrew tells us that. Then the father did something I think is amazing. He told the servants, go get the robe from the house put it on him here why did he do that I've asked myself that over and over and it dawned on me he asked the servants to go get the robe from the house and put it on him while he was yet a far away from the house because he did not want the people in the house to see the shame that sin had put on his boy all the rags I'd take mine up but I'd, my shirt's too tight it's showing things that are not pleasurable I need one of those gurneys there. What are those called? Those, not gurneys. What are they called? Girdle. There you go. Girdle. A gurney. I need a gurney before this service is over. Oh, <laughs> me out. This is Elizabeth. This is the big one. Where was I? I'm thinking of Lamont. You big dummy. Okay. Some of us older people know that. Thank you. He gets the robe from the house because he did not want to see the sin and the shame that had caused him to leave. And he dumped the rags that he had been wearing into the ditch. And he brought the ring and he brought the shoes. I say that to you today. Your father has a dazzling robe of righteousness that he wants to put around prodigal sons and prodigal daughters and prodigal mothers and prodigal fathers. He's got a daz of righteous robe that he wants to put around every single person that calls him his own. And he wants to let you know that that ring means authority. The shoes means you have been adopted as his very own, that you belong to him. He's got it waiting for you. All your sin, all your shame, it's been buried in the deepest sea, never to be brought against you anymore. God's got it for you. All you got to do is take it and say, I'm yours, dad. The ring, the ring is a symbol of authority. That son can now go into the marketplace and whatever he puts that signet ring to, it's done. It's done. 
God the Father has given you authority. Whatever you ask the Father in my name, it shall be done unto you. I'm telling you that because he's given you that signet ring. It means authority. And he's given you shoes. Slaves by law in those days were forbidden to wear shoes. Only sons wore shoes. Why did he get the robe? It's the robe of righteousness. Why did he get the ring? It's a symbol of authority. And why does he have the shoes? Because it meant he was a son. He was totally redeemed. He was totally forgiven. It was totally forgotten. All the mariachis were playing. The fatted calf was torched up. The, the barbecue sauce, all the things were there. My son was dead and now he's alive forevermore. Can we stand? Heavenly Father, thank you today for this word. As I messed it up in my own strength, your Holy Spirit didn't mess up anything of your calling people home. Heavenly Father, today, let the prodigals know they're loved. Let the prodigals know in this room and those who are watching, they're chosen. Let the prodigals know today their condition does not forfeit their position. They're still sons and they're still daughters, no matter what condition they're living in currently. Thank you for listening to the Oasis Church Podcast. You can find our podcasts wherever podcasts are available. For more information, go to experienceoasis.org. Thanks again for listening.